Let's pray. Father in heaven, we come to you and we do give you all the glory tonight. You alone are worthy. And what an opportunity we have. And from what we heard last week, you opened the door of opportunities for us. And we know this is one tonight. And we certainly do not want to not use it to the fullest. So we pray that our hearts and our ears, that we are like John, that we are in the spirit, capital S, that we are listening to your spirit, that we do not miss the sights and the sounds of heaven tonight. Even though it's way beyond our human comprehension, you give us enough so that we can have a glimpse of what we can look forward to. So tonight, Father, I just pray that as we again watch the Trinity at work, Father, we know that it's your love and that came up with the astounding, unfathomable plan and how Jesus then fulfilled that plan for us. And how we even see in this lesson how the Holy Spirit is sent out on the earth because without the Holy Spirit, people wouldn't even know you. It's, it's the Holy Spirit's work that whispers in their ear their need for a Savior. And Father, we... Even though we have said yes to the cross and to salvation, how we need that Holy Spirit every second of every day. So, Lord, we, we just pray that these two chapters come alive, that we really see that this is something to look forward to, that we don't have to be afraid of. It, it's something that we can be excited about because we know you fulfill your promises and so, Lord, may these two chapters just be so special that we see Jesus in a way that we have never seen him, the way this book of Revelation is supposed to be about, the unveiling of a Savior that maybe we've never seen, even though we've studied every other book in this book. So, Lord, we, tonight we, we just pray for your, for your um, presence. We know without a doubt you're here, but Lord, may we sense him. May we sense you. And so we give you this hour, and we pray that you are pleased, that this night puts a smile on your face. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, everyone, this is my Bible. I believe it's God's word. I believe every word is true, and it's all that I need. For sure. May I just say one thing about last week um, that I so appreciate you sticking it out. I mean, it was a long night, but I just didn't see it any other way. For those who are doing this study on podcast, I'm sure when you looked at an hour and 31 minutes, it kind of threw you for a loop and you thought, I better do this in two increments. But I know it was long, but there was no way I was going to shortchange. I wasn't going to um, just do five of the seven, um, but I didn't want to split it up either. Thanks for just uh, sticking in there. But wasn't it just, because someone else this week asked me about that. Um, how come these particular churches, how come not other churches that maybe the apostles had started? And I really didn't have a, an answer per se, except that it really isn't about, it wasn't about the church. It was, the emphasis was on the problem of the church, and what was going on in that church that needed to be corrected, which was, like we had talked about, we are the church. So that meant that we had to look at those seven churches and let the Holy Spirit show us where maybe we are missing the mark. What church did we seem to, that just spoke to us, that we could really relate to, that maybe something was exposed and we thought, I didn't even realize that was going on, but I'm convicted and I'm challenged. Because see, you can, you can just see the way Revelation has been laid out. It's, it's so specific that the order is, and especially next week when we do chapters 6 to 20. I mean, obviously, we're not going to be able to cover every line, but that's what I expect you to do in the coming in this week, that you will prepare and you will read every word and every line of chapters 6 to 20. And then I will compile it and show you just how the Lord has has set this book up with such preciseness 
and how the first chapter is that setting that we, we need. We need that fundamental setting that that's John and that's Jesus. And, and John was here for this reason. And, and we, we just had to identify with that first chapter that we were ready and settled in to now let's go on with this book. And then here comes, you know, Revelation 2 and 3 about the churches. He's saying you got to get your heart ready before judgment starts You've got to make sure before you see Jesus face to face, let me warn you. Let me start exposing things so that you don't have that embarrassment, that you can take care of it now, that you can, you can let that get it cleansed so it can, um, you can stop it from you know, taking over other areas of your life. It's for our benefit. So I hope that you really saw the personalness the, the warning, the get yourself prepared. Because what we start with tonight now, it is just like four is like all of a sudden we're going to start to see what's going on in heaven. Now remember, this isn't the new heaven. This isn't the heaven of Revelation 21. This is the heaven that so much is going to happen from here. This is where judgment is going to happen. We need to know and hear the sights and the sounds of heaven, even though John has such a terrible time trying to describe it because it's so far beyond words. And so he's going to do the best he can to try to explain it to us. So as, as this chapter 4 starts, John wrote, after this, so after chapter 1 and the setting is set, after chapters 2 and 3, now you've been warned, you've, you've acknowledged what churches you and what needs to be worked on. And can I just say one more thing? I forgot to give you a verse last week when we were in the church of Thyatira, when we were talking about um, the Jezebel church. You know, if you can look at that name Jezebel as temptation, that is the church that has the hidden closets. It's got the secrets that are going on that maybe no one else knows. It's just God in you. And he's saying, remember, I can see that. And that's inhibiting you from knowing me to the fullest. And, and so that, that word Jezebel, this week I was going over it and I thought, really, that is a, that's really temptation. It's any, anything that grabs you around the neck that you think you can't avoid. And there's so many times with the temptation, we think we can't help it. And that's not true, and I want to make sure we know, and the verse that I, I forgot to give you last week that I want to give to you tonight is that whenever you're caught in a temptation or caught in an addiction and you feel overpowered by it, and you even, you know, you even cough up the excuse, well, the devil made me do it, or, you know, I, I just can't help it. it. The temptation was bigger than me. Well, that's true. You are, you are right on there, but... 1 Corinthians 10, 13, Paul reminds us that no temptation is too great. So I want to, if you, if you saw yourself in that church, the church of Thyatira, I want to make sure you know that even though you're, you, you might be experiencing a hidden closet or, or a hidden sin or you're, you're, you easily fall a weakness to this certain temptation and, and you're using the excuse that can help it. I want you to know that Paul said no temptation is too great if you go to the Lord for your way of escape. So yes, the temptation, the immorality, the, the wanting to appease your flesh, yeah, that is bigger than you. But if you go to the Lord for your way of escape, he will see to it that you have a way out. I think that's such an important verse that we know that we, we live, because temptation is around us all the time. And we all know where we're weak. But to know that we can have that kind of strength to overcome the Jezebel, the temptation. We don't have to live in that hopelessness because no temptation is too great because our Lord is always bigger, always bigger than the temptation. So now after this, then John writes, I looked and there before me was a door standing open to heaven. Can you even 
fathom. You're going to see that tonight. I talk slower. I pause more. Because I want you to kind of digest and think through some of this because it's so picturesque. There, we've been created with a, a, a mind and a brain and an imagination that we can take these words on the page. And even though John will have a hard time saying, it was like this, I don't know else to say it. It was like this, it was like this. But, but we can envision, even if it's just a glimpse, we can envision the spectacularness of the sights and sounds of heaven. And I think John says, I... There I was standing there at the door. It was open to heaven. And the voice that I first heard speaking to me, so he clarifies. He says, there's no doubt in my mind that the verse that I heard in chapter 1, it's like that same trumpet. I mean, it was clear. It was, it was very identifiable. So I know that it's the same voice that I heard then. It's the same voice now. And this voice said, Come up here, come up here, and I will show you what must take place. And again, if you read that too fast, you're going you're gonna to miss how important that, that four-letter word is. This must happen. If you and I, and we love Revelation 21 so much, I mean, we're, we just love to hear about the new heaven and new earth and no mourning, no crying, no more pain, no more suffering. I mean, that, that's just... So wonderful. And can't we just jump next week's lesson and just get to that? And obviously, in chapter 4, it's very clear to John that Jesus said, I'm opening the door for you here, and I'm going to show you what must take place. At once, I was in the Spirit. We can't say that enough, how important it is that our little spirit is connected to God's Holy Spirit, or we're going to miss what our little spirit would never be able to comprehend or see or hear. So, you know, John is not sitting in the cave feeling sorry for himself, whining, and says, remember, he said, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day. I was ready to hear what the Lord wanted and how he wanted to use me today. You know, do we start our day like that? Are we so in the spirit? Or are we, you know, just so sad because of what's going on in our lives or the country or the world or whatever, and we get so bogged down? Or are we like John? I'm in the spirit. It's the Lord's day. This is another new day that the Lord has made. Am I ready for him to use me today? Because I don't want to miss what he's got for me. I want to be connected to God's Holy Spirit. You're going to see in these trad chapters, you know, we've been talking about the Trinity. And, and I think we're very, very um, conditioned now to know that one God splits into three equal parts, but each one having a specific job to do in our lives. And you're going to see this. I mean, we were greeted by the Trinity in chapter 1, but in these two chapters, you are going to see again that the Trinity works so well together. So he is in the spirit, and he is ready to almost see and hear the uncomprehensible because it is, is so beyond the normal. And here before, and there, and there before me was a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it. Now, chapters four and five, we're gonna we're gonna be standing in the same vicinity, and our focus is gonna be on the center throne. And so we will keep going back and, and see all what's happening on that center throne. You're going to see in chapter 4 that it's Jesus sitting on that throne. You're going to see in chapter 5 it's God the Father sitting on the throne. That's how tight they work together. But it's still one God working. And so it says, then and the one who sat there, the one who sat there had the appearance of of Jasper and Carnelian. So he's starting to describe what he's seeing. And he said, there's a center throne and someone is sitting on it. And, and from what I can see, I mean, you know, we know that heaven is so full of light. And 
he said, I can almost hear him trying to say, it was just stunning. It was just gorgeous. I mean, there was this white light of jasper, it's like a diamond, and it was just like a white light. And then there was this carnelian. King James has another word for it, but it's, it's a red stone, kind of like a ruby. So you have two colors. You have white and you have red. That's what he sees. Now, you know, I'm just going to throw this out to you because when I look at that, I, I think there's got to be a reason why it's so described in specific colors. I mean, I mean, I like sapphire too, don't you? I mean, I like topaz. I mean, but how come jasper and carnelian or something red and white? And, and for me, it just became so personal because I thought, oh, two colors that when I see heaven, I want to be able to see the white because of the red. I think of the red because this would not be at all possible for me if it wasn't for the blood of Christ. And there's no way if it wasn't for the blood of Christ that I could be in the, the white, that I could be dressed in white, I could be seeing white, that I could be living in this white. Now, you know, I just love making a person. I love getting into the story. And I, I, I just love um, trying to imagine these colors and, and the gorgeousness of it all. And it says, and then there was a rainbow. There was a rainbow. And I stopped there because I know I've said this to you before, but I'm going to keep reiterating, you know, Revelation is the last book of God's word. And and there's no doubt in my mind that because like any book, you know, unless you're unless you're really cheap, you start with the back. See how it ends first, you know. But more more than not, when you pick up a book, you start from the beginning. And so I think the way this Bible was set up, that by the time we get to Revelation, it's the assumption that we have, we have read the other books. And so when the, when the rainbow, when that word comes up, I mean, what should that do? It should just right away bring you back to Genesis and Noah and the promise and I thought to myself, I thought, yeah, that rainbow signifies promise. God is going to come through with this promise. He promised us this. He promised us that if you overcome yourself and your sin and you come to me, you will, you will get all this. You, I will make it so worth your while. So now as these sites are starting, even though it's just a little glimpse and, you know, obviously we're still on this earth and we can't possibly comprehend, but at least it's something that you know it's so stunning. And you see the colors. And it's like Jesus is saying, I told you, I promised you this. So the rainbow, and it said resembling and emeralds. So another beautiful jewel, another beautiful color encircled the throne. So that's quite a picture, right? That's quite a visual. And then surrounding the throne were 24 other thrones, and seated on them were 24 elders. So in your mind, remember I said the center focus will, will be the center throne. But then now we learn that there are 24 lesser thrones around that center throne. And, you know, who, who are those elders? Who do they represent? And Now, you know, I... I just come up with a couple little things, but you know, in the Old Testament, when when Aaron was the first priest, and then the tribe of Levi, they became the priestly tribe, and so priests were in the Old Testament. And and as I kind of looked more and more at this priest hood this this all, all all this about priests it said that there were 24 divisions when this when the priesthood was set up it was set up with 24 divisions but the job of a priest 
was to be the mediator between God and man. He was to lead the people toward the Messiah. So the priest had a big job. And to just, I mean, I looked at that when I was reading that, and I thought, why, 24 divisions of the priesthood. And then, of course, we know the 12 tribes of Israel, the nation of Israel that brought forth the Savior, the 12 apostles that brought the word to the world, so you know all of these numbers, and you know, but we don't know. If you, if you really want to just generalize, you can just say they represent God's people because they're on lesser thrones, and it does make sense because you know the Apostle Paul wrote a couple things about that we are joint heirs. We're joint heirs with Jesus. He wrote that in the book of Romans. He wrote in 2 Timothy 2 to Timothy. It says, he writes to Timothy, and we will reign with him. So, yeah, it, you know, it could be the 12 priestly, the 24 priestly divisions. It could be the 12 apostles and the 12 tribes of Israel. But if you just want to say, hey, they represent God's people. Because we are people that he promised that we will reign with him. We are heirs. So in the long there, it says they were dressed. They were dressed. These 24 elders were dressed in white and they had crowns of gold on their heads. So again, those verses about, about the crown, yeah, we, we're royalty with him. So, you know, that's kind of a beautiful thought. And so those sights, this is what John said, I saw. Center throne, 24 lesser thrones, but all encircling that throne. The, the light and the color, and it just brought so much back to my mind. I'm sure John is thinking that. Oh, it just makes me think about so much of my experiences with him and but then the sounds, then the sounds start from the throne. From that center throne came flashes of lightning, rumblings, and peals of thunder. Wow, that's not quiet. I would say the sounds of heaven are, you know, the presence of God. And that kind of triggered something. And I went back because I knew that I had read similar language I went back to when Moses was um, going to go to Mount Sinai where he was going to write down on the tablets the Ten Commandments and, and get the law of God. And, and you don't have to turn to it, but in Exodus chapter 19, just listen to this language. On the morning of the third day, there was thunder and lightning with a thick cloud over the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast. Everyone in the camp trembled. Then Moses led the people out of the camp to meet with God, and they stood at the foot of the mountain. Mount Sinai was covered with smoke because the Lord descended on it in fire. The smoke billowed up from it like smoke from a furnace, and the whole mountain trembled violently. And the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder. Then Moses spoke, and the voice of God answered him. So I don't think God has changed much. I think in his presence, there's going to be sounds of power. It was described in Exodus, and pretty much the same verbiage was in Revelation. And it said, before the throne, seven lamps were blazing. Seven lamps. Remember, whenever you see seven, you know, you don't necessarily have to count to seven. It just means that you can count on that description showing you it's complete. So we know that it is the Holy Spirit. But before the throne, seven lamps were blazing. Do not confuse the seven blazing lamps with the seven lampstands. 
Remember, those seven lampstands are the churches. That's us. We're the lampstand. We know that Jesus walks among the lampstands. We are to be the light that shines. And what did we learn last week? You don't, you don't overcome you and your sin, and you're not willing to follow me. I might as well take the lampstand away. You're, no, you're of no use to me. But the seven blazing spirits, the seven blazing lamps are the seven spirits of God. It's the Holy Spirit. Just to know, just so that we all know that the Trinity is complete here. You're going to see the Father. You're going to see the Son. And you are going to see God's Holy Spirit. And before the throne, there was what looked like I think this is where John struggled. I think, I think this description of this, it was like a sea. Um, it, was, it was just as crystal clear. Um, it, yeah, I think he's trying, it was like glass. It went, was it literally water? I, I, I don't know. I think he is just saying, I'm trying my best to try to tell you because the reflection from this. I mean, after describing the center throne and the 24 lesser thrones with the elders sitting on it, you know, and then, you know, with all the light and the color and the promised rainbow and the rainbow. I mean, and then to be able to have this sea like crystal glass you know it's just reflecting it all I mean the sight was bouncing off everything in the center around the throne were four living creatures okay now you got to picture this you've got the center throne you've got the 24 elders on 24 thrones but between the two are these four living creatures. And these four living creatures, it's very important that we understand the details about these four living creatures and how, how important it is that the more you get to know and the closer you get to your Savior in a closer relationship, the closer you work at that, you start looking like him. You start acting like him. You start praising him. You see a change in your life. These four creatures represent all what you and I can be as we move closer in our relationship with the Savior. It says, these four living creatures, they were covered with eyes in front and in back. And if you're not willing to stop and want to think about that, you are going to close the book and say, see, that's why I didn't like it. It's just so freaky. Eyes everywhere. Haven't you ever said, I wish I had another pair of eyes in the back of my head. Have you ever said that? wish I had eyes in the back of my head. Raising two boys, I wish I had eyes all over the place. I mean, I think if we really look in reality... This is such a great thing to be able to have eyes everywhere. So what does that mean? You're not going to miss anything. And these four creatures, they are not going to miss anything. This is not creepy or freaky. This is the ability to be able to see everything. And it said the first living creature. The first living creature was like a lion. The second was like an ox. The third had a face like a man. The fourth was like a flying eagle. Such different distinctions. Every creature, every one of those creatures had a distinct feature. And you can't help but think, again, this is what I truly believe that we are supposed to have studied the Gospels before we get to Revelation. We're supposed to have seen Jesus and gotten to know him from, like we said last week, you know, from the manger to the temple when he was 12 to, you know, the, the um, miracles and walking this earth, his ministry and 
And then, you know, we know that the Gospels are the story of that time period. The Gospels are the story of Jesus. Now, did you ever wonder why we have to have four stories of Jesus? It's because every one of these gospel writers had a different, had a different twist, a different way to see Jesus. And in Matthew, Matthew is the book that ties the Old Testament to the New Testament. Matthew was the one that he wrote directly to the Jews, and he was connecting the dots for them. The fulfillment of prophecies. The lion of Judah. He was the one that showed Jesus as the lion. He, he, and if you do study the Gospels, and if you go into the study of that specific Gospel, you can see it. You can see. And then Mark is... Mark was a, a shorter gospel, but he was a no-nonsense. He, he, he wrote about Jesus being the ultimate faithful servant. And you see the ox here, because the ox and anybody probably back then into pioneer days and all that, I mean, they depended on their oxen to do everything that was important that ox served that family in many, many ways. And then in Luke, Luke being Dr. Luke, the medical doctor, he's obviously going to see things from a perspective of medical. I mean, he's going to be stunned by the miracles. Like, that just doesn't happen. That just can't happen. We know that Luke, being that he wasn't a disciple, he was a product of the Apostle Paul. And he's writing this exciting story to his friend Theophilus. So where did he get all that detailed information? Well, we know it could only be one person because the only person that knew that she pondered things in her heart was Mary. And I'm sure Luke had many questions about, hey, I, I got to ask you about virgin birth. How does that work? And so you can see, and we're going to be studying that in the fall, you will go into that and we will know what he is trying to get us to see, that Jesus was 100% man. He was. He, he was human. He felt. He understands. He's been there. But then John, he brings the gospel in a whole different light. And he makes sure that we know that Jesus, even though, yes, he is 100% human, he is 100% God. He is the Son of God. And that is depicted by the flying eagle, the soaring, the majesticness. Each of the four living creatures had six wings and was covered with eyes all around, even under his wings. So between six wings and eyes everywhere, these four living creatures who look like Jesus are going to make sure that they can serve him well, that they can be anywhere quickly, and they will not miss a thing. Day and night, they never stop saying. So just for me personally, and I hope as you are trying to dissect some of this to make it yours, that you do see that the closer you get in your relationship with Jesus, the more real he becomes. See, that's why, you know, you had to be exposed to things that were keeping you from being real. That's why we needed that last week. Because you don't want to miss becoming like him, having the characteristics of him, looking like him, acting like him, being close to the throne. Day and night, they never stop saying. 
And there again, you probably think, well, you know, there's no way I can, I can say holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was, who is, and who is to come. I can't be saying that all the time. So how can this be me? How can this be something that I want day and night? They never stop saying, I don't think it's, it's the words that have to be coming out of our mouth all the time. It's an attitude. It's a frame of mind. It's a demeanor. It's a connection that you have. Because this is what's going to keep giving you the strength and the power. I'm telling you, when that temptation comes or when, when you want to appease yourself or when, you know, whenever, whenever you get to, you're haunted by your weakness or whatever, I'm telling you, if you are connected to God's spirit and you remember these four creatures and they are always saying, holy, holy. Because if you remember in your mind that he is holy and that he is almighty and he always was and he still is and he will always be. Somehow that will strengthen you, that will give you what it takes. So it is something we can attain, that we should, we, that we should try for, that we stay connected to him, that we stay in that frame of mind, that the Holy Spirit is able to remind us when we need it. Whenever the living creatures, whenever the living creatures give glory, honor, and thanks to him who sits on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. Do you think about that? Do you think about this? You've got the four creatures who day and night are, they never stop saying, and you've got them saying, holy, holy, is the Lord God Almighty. He is, he was, he's, and he is to come. And with that truth, the 24 elders who represent God's people, see, this shows me right here and there, because our pathetic human minds sometimes go in the direction of, hey, I wonder if there's any comparing going around that circle of 24, um, you know, and they have crowns on their head. Is, does one have a bigger crown? Does one have a few more stars in it? I wonder what they did. I wonder, I'm being sarcastic. I'm being pathetic. But that's what our human nature does. And that's why that was one of the dangers. That was one of the letters to one of the churches. Are you comparing yourself always? But there's going to be none of that. There is no one sitting on a throne wearing a crown that is thinking that they deserve any of that. Like we always say, the ground is level at Calvary. Guess what? The ground is level in heaven too. Because every one of us that are there are there for only one reason. Because of, of Jesus and the blood that he shed. And then you, when you hear these words about a holy and God almighty, and when you hear that truth, look what happens. You're going to notice that these elders on these 24 thrones, they don't sit on the throne much. It's really quite beautiful because whenever the sounds of the Savior start taking off right on, right on their knees, they fall right off that throne onto their knees. So when the living creatures were given glory and honor and thanks, it said the 24 elders fall down before him and they worship him. And look at else they do. They lay their crowns. They lay their crowns before the throne. They know, we know, you know, I know. I am not even worthy of wearing this crown on my head, on my own. The only reason I have this crown it's because he gave it to me. And when you have the chance, anything that we can give back. So you, you have your worship and you hand the crown over. And you say, you are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things and by your will they were created and have their being I went through that verse a number of times, and then I started underlining. I, I underlined you, 
You are worthy. You created all things. And it's by your will that they were created. Do you see any me's and my's and I's? <laughs> no. These people who are close to the throne, who are close to the Lord, have their relationship with him intact, and they know who they are. They know who's sovereign, and they know who's not. But they're just grateful to be there because of his grace and his love. So, sights and sounds. In the spirit, you're able to get a glimpse of not only how beautiful, but how powerful the sounds are. And to be able to see the relationship of those to the throne and what they can look like the closer you get to Jesus. I love, I keep seeing this over and over, but this, this is what I'm working at. Even getting older, I still am working at this. Every day, I want to look like him more. Every day, I want to sound like him more. And that's possible. The more I get to know him more. You know, that's, you know, this summer, we're going to, we're going to take three Tuesday nights and we're going to um, study the book of Ephesus of Ephesians because of the church of Ephesus. And we're going to take two chapters a month. So I'm not going to make you come every week, but once a month. You know, I've discovered that summer and the lifestyle in Florida are dangerous to spiritual life. <laughs> because you get lax, you start thinking that you're, you're fine. And we forget that we need to work at clinging him. And so I've decided that we're going to do this, and I'm doing it for me. If you want to come along, you just come. But I know what I need to be disciplined, to be accountable. But there, when I was writing the questions, I noticed, you know, and I've read this many times, but now I saw it in a different light after this, studying this chapter, because Paul says, this is what I do every day. Every day I want you to know that I pray for you and I pray that you get to know him better. That's what Paul says. I pray every day that you will get to know him better. So apparently getting to know him better is, is critical. It's something that we have to work at. Because wouldn't you just love to be depicted in your relationship as one of the four creatures that the closer you get to him, the more you look like him, the more you don't miss anything because you're in tune with him. All right, now, then I saw. As we move into chapter 5, John says, then I saw. So after the sights and sounds, and he said, I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. That's quite a lot there. John said, I saw, because now we're going to see that God the Father is sitting on the throne. And he is holding in his right hand a scroll that has writing on both sides. And if you, if you read that too fast, you, you maybe miss that there's got to be a reason why that detail is in there. Because most scrolls don't have writing on both sides because you want to keep it private. See, in Jeremiah 32, the people who would hear this letter would understand because whenever they would write a deed or title to something, they would roll it in a scroll and they would seal it with a seal. And so they would understand, they would be able to understand this mental picture of this scroll and it being sealed. But it was different because it was writing on both sides. It was writing on both sides. Now, you know, let, let your mind think about that. Why, why would you have to write on both sides? Well, I would say because you got a lot to say. And when you start working on chapters 6 to 20, there's a lot that's got to happen. So there's a lot that's on this scroll. Because what does this scroll stand for? It's the deed 
to planet Earth. And it is, it is, that's why as we get into this and why it's so important that there is someone worthy to open that scroll because whoever opens the scroll begins the judgment. And we know, because we just read it, that must happen. Because remember chapter one, you said, behold, I am coming. And this is my precise way of doing it. I mean, we know he could do judgment in a split second. But he has his reasons. He has he, he's got his Holy Spirit still on the earth. He's still going to try to show people who he is. And, oh, wait till we get into next week. But still, he's got a preciseness. He's got a plan. And this plan took both sides of the scroll. And I saw a mighty angel. John says, I saw a mighty angel. All of a sudden, this mighty angel started to proclaim in a loud voice, who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? Who is worthy to open the scroll and get the ball rolling? Get it started. But no one, no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside it. So God the Father is sitting there with the deed to planet earth, writing on both sides, sealed with seven seals. And no one comes up to get it going. And look what John's reaction. I mean, we saw his reaction in chapter 1 when, when he saw Jesus in all of his glory. He dropped as though dead. And that was his best friend. And yet, this look. And so we saw his reaction. He was willing to say, this is how I reacted to this. When he, when he witnessed this, this is how he reacted. I wept and I wept. Not just a few trinkled teardrops. I mean, he's beside himself. He's weeping. And you know why he's weeping so? Because if no one steps up to the plate and opens up the scroll, that means the cross didn't work. That means the world is lost. That everything that, that we read and studied and lived for was all for nothing. That Satan won. I'd say his reaction was appropriate. When no one was able to start it going, to think, just even to think that, that split-second thought, what, the cross didn't work? That it really didn't do for me what I thought? That I'm still lost in my sin? Verse 5, then one of the elders, don't you just wonder who had the privilege to, to say, oh, John. Then one of the elders said to me, do not weep. See the lion of the tribe of Judah. So now we're seeing Jesus as the lion, the tribe of Judah. The root of David. He has triumphed. The cross did work. He paid it all. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. Verse 6. So John heard that angel. And then he heard the elder. And now he sees. He sees the lamb. Capital L lion previous. Now he sees the capital L lamb. He saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain. Wow, isn't that something? You know, there's a great song out now, and I'm sure many of you have heard it by Casting Crowns. The only scars in heaven. 
It's so beautiful because it makes you realize that all the scars that we have from tough, hard living and from our trials and sufferings, and, you know, we bear, so many of us bear so many scars from our past, that there isn't going to be one scar on us. But there are going to be scars in heaven. The only scars that you and I are going to see, and I think it's for our benefit, is to constantly remind us that the only reason we're there is because of those nails. And John said, I saw the lamb. It looked like he'd been a lamb that was sacrificed. Well, he had been. He probably he saw, he saw the scars. He saw this lamb standing in the center of the throne. Okay, you know, we've seen Jesus in chapter 4 sitting on the throne. We've seen the Father sitting on the throne. Now we see Jesus back. Now he's standing on the throne. How beautiful is that? And he, he was encircled by those four living creatures. And those 24 elders. You know, I think if we were to ask those four creatures or the 24 elders, I bet they'd say, and we didn't want to leave. We didn't want to leave his presence for a second. I think that's the way it's going to be. Oh, I think we're going to be doing and having plenty to do. But I think that there's, we're not going to want to leave his presence. And the beautiful thing is, because of the glory of his presence, we won't have to. And so it says he had, he had seven horns. They're again, not creepy, not freaky. He, he wore these horns. That's authority. He is who he is. Seven horns, seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. See the combination of the Trinity again. But how he tells us again, he reminds us that his spirit has been left on this earth to keep the gospel message going. He came and he took the scroll. What that must have been to say. Jesus with all his authority, his seven horns, his seven eyes, the Holy Spirit. I mean, you've got all of this. Jesus standing up and without any question. He takes it from the hand. He takes that scroll with writing on both sides, and he's got the authority. He doesn't gingerly walk up and say, well, I'll give it a try. I think that's why we've got to see the seven horns, the seven eyes, him standing on the throne. We've got to see that vision. Because he knew who he was, and he knew he was worthy. He knew he was the one to grab that scroll. He was the only one that could start it all going. And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders, there they go again, they fell down before the lamb. Because they too realized that all would be lost. All would be doomed. But when they, when they heard, when they saw, when they watched Jesus with all authority take the scroll from his father's hands, they, and we're going to see it in the rest of this chapter, they erupt because of the joy that Jesus is going to come back and do what he said, make everything right. Each one had a harp. Each one had a harp, and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. Each one had a harp. This is where people who do not study Scripture, who are biblically illiterate, they hear and they picture in their mind that heaven is, you know, it's just going to be boring because we're going to be these little chair-bearing angels. And we're going to be holding our little harps and floating on these clouds. And what a bunch of nonsense. No, that is not the way it's going to be. And, you know, if you go back to Psalm 137, 
And that'd be another good reading for you. But in Psalm 137, this is when, and when we've just come, I mean, we've had the most extraordinary year, haven't we? I mean, starting with Daniel, going into Esther, doing Habakkuk, I mean, going into Ezra and Nehemiah, you know, and and then to be now in the Revelation, seeing how it all fits. But if you would go back to Psalm 137, and the kingdom of Judah was taken into captivity by Babylon. According to the psalmist, the Babylonian people must have known that the Jews were good singers or something because they said, sing us a song. And they said, we have no song to sing. And they hung up their harps. They hung up their harps, which represented, my joy is gone. We are learning our lessons. We, we did not listen to what we were told to do by Jeremiah. We did not listen to the Lord's commands. And God does what he says. And we're ending up in 70 years of captivity. I don't have a song to sing. Might as well hang up my harp. There's no joy. And so when you, when you see in your mind, you think of these four living creatures and you, the 24 elders, and you, you, you see them picking up their harps, it's like, oh my goodness, the joy is back to all of its fullness. And they are going to sing a brand new song. But what's so beautiful too is the, the whole description of these, they're holding these big, golden, beautiful Bowls. And they're full of incense, which represents the prayers of the saints. When you pray, when you praise, when you request, when you talk to the Lord, do you sometimes think, we're in this, is this just going into some air here? If you pray and you request and you are and you're in that close walk, the relationship with him, when your little spirit is connected to the Holy Spirit, he hears you and he cares and he guarantees you that your prayers go into this beautiful golden bowl and they smell with this fragrant aroma to him. That's how endearing our prayers are to him. And all of a sudden you start to hear this new song. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain. And with your blood, you purchased men for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. Did you think of an old hymn? I did. I thought of an old hymn. I will sing of my Redeemer and his wondrous love to me and the cruel cross he suffered from the curse he set me free. I will sing of my Redeemer. With his blood, he purchased me. On the cross, he sealed my pardon. I mean, this is the song that came because you were slain and with your blood you purchased men for God. From every tribe, from every tribe, from every nation, from every language, from every people. He doesn't pick favorites. Salvation is open for anyone who will receive it. And if you do, you have been made. You have made them to be. We become a kingdom. We become a part of his kingdom, a part of his family, and also priests. We become priests. We don't, we don't need that mediator anymore like in the Old Testament. No, because of our Savior, we can go directly to the throne. The Hebrew writer says that we can boldly come with confidence before the throne. Because we're so good? No, hardly. But because he looks at us through the blood of his son, so he welcomes us into his presence. So you've made us kingdom, and you've made us the priests now to serve our God. And they will reign on the earth. What a future. What a future. Then, then I looked. Now, did you stop and just 
kind of tried to imagine these numbers. Then I looked and I heard. So he saw under the power of God's spirit. He was able to hear under the power of God's spirit the voice of many angels. Now remember, if you've ever heard people say when someone passes away, oh, they've now turned into an angel. That's not true. I just want to make sure because there's so much spiritual, biblical ignorance going on out there that they make stuff up. Angels are glorious creatures created by God. Yes, they are, and they have purposes. But they are not. They have never been to a place like us where he breathed into us the breath of life. They've never had that experience. We've been made in his image. There's no angel that wears a crown, that's been given a crown. There's differences, but they do have their purpose. And look at here, they lead in worship, and they can do it like no other. I heard the voice of many angels numbering thousands upon thousands and ten thousands times ten thousand. That's a lot. That's volume. There isn't one time that I hear the hallelujah chorus. And don't you understand now why the king stood up when Handel played this? You can't sit in your seat on that song. King of kings, Lord of lords, hallelujah. I mean, it's so majestic. It's so glorious. I'm telling you, there's no time that I stand without tears. But do you know, this is going to be, I can't even think of a number that's going to be greater than that experience when you hear the Allo chorus. That doesn't hold a candle to what this is going to be like. In a loud voice, they sang, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them singing. Now that they know that Jesus stepped up to the plate and he is now going to break the seals, which we will start next week, Judgment will start in its progression, its perfect progression. But the universe erupts with this joy. Then they sing to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. You ever think about how long forever and ever is? This is one time, it says it just, sound, it just sounds to be too good to be true. This is one time when I guarantee you it's going to be a lot better than what you even think. And with all that going on, the four living creatures... I wish I had the volume. I wish I had the kind of voice but I wouldn't want to scare you either. But I just want to make sure that you know that when the word amen was said, it had some muscle to it. The four living creatures said amen. And once again, the elders fell down and worshiped. What a beautiful picture. The center, the center throne with all else, completely submitted and surrendered. That's the perfect picture. Heavenly Father, again, we thank you for these two chapters. Father, I just pray that we go through it and just pause and we let our imaginations and your Holy Spirit just take over our imaginations so we can grab a hold, that we can we can. Be as excited as the angels in heaven, as the four living creatures, as the 24 elders, that we are so thrilled that what must 
take place. It's going to start. None of us knows exactly when, but we just know that your plan, written on both sides of this girl, are going to follow perfectly to that plan that you have. Father, may we take comfort. May we all have our joy back. May, may we all be harp carriers. Because the joy of the Lord is not only our strength, it's our everything according to Jesus. Our joy is complete in, in him. So Lord, as we end tonight, Lord, may we just take this all in and may we, we be ready for these next chapters. And we pray this all in our Savior's name, who we are awed by, who we are humbled by, who we surrender to, who we submit to, who we give all glory and honor because no one else is worthy.